Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. It's a Sunday morning. Biker goes to church. Preachers preaching, congregations listening. All of a sudden, fire, smoke, that devil appears on the, on the altar. Everyone runs, congregation screaming, priests screaming. The biker just sits there. Devil says, what, aren't you afraid of me? The biker says, why should I be? I've been married to your sister for 25 years. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Jessica Hunley. She's the editor of Tashin's new collection of Dennis Hopper's photographs. So she knows from biker jokes, people. And coming up, the medieval rock of Midlake, New York Times blogger Bruce Bouchelle, Shredded Clothes, Silent Hattie, Caraway Honey, Bobby Charles, and Whirly Ball. Phew, but first, time for small talk. So, Brendan, this week in the headlines, there was really only one headline, which was the tragedy in Haiti. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the tragedy that is Pat Robertson. No, that's just too depressing to talk about. Amen. I Uh, mean, not amen, (laughs) I guess, in that case. Fortunately, our job is to ask the folks at Marketplace about stories that didn't make the headlines. Betsy Streisand, senior editor at Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm going to be talking about how New York City threw away tons of counterfeit designer clothes. Uh, They shredded them. So these are clothes that the New York Police Department confiscated from people? Yeah. Being destroyed instead of, you know, given to people who need them. Yeah, and, and they don't stop there. They actually burn them. So you mean that's not real Louis Vuitton smoke wafting over New York? No, but New Yorkers can tell the difference. Jeremy Hobson, New York reporter, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, Rico, there's some research out of the UK that says that the best thing you can do to improve the stress level at the workplace is to tell your boss what you really think of him. So uh, telling your boss off is good for your health. Yes. Now, there is no data here on how many people were fired after doing this. Right. Stress-free, desperately unemployed people. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter at Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, a government official in Northern Ireland had to step down because his wife was having an affair. Oh, no. Not Tiger Woods again. (laughs) No. But uh, her lover was 19 years old. And her name is Mrs. Robinson. So it's caused this huge push on Facebook to move the song, Mrs. Robinson, to the top of the British pop charts. Well, I've heard of the Celtic Tiger, but I guess they have cougars. (laughs) And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like shabu shabu, except we're dipping raw history into white hot booze. That is awful sounding. First, the history this week back in 1932, Hattie Carraway became a household name. Of course, these days, most folks at your dinner party won't even know who she was. Right. Thanks to our friend Michelle Philippi, you're about to. In November 1931, Hattie Carraway was a quiet housewife. Two months later, she'd become the first woman ever elected to the U.S. Senate. How did it happen? Well, Hattie's husband was a senator from Arkansas, and he died. The Democratic Party needed someone to keep his Senate seat warm for the remaining few months of his term. So they helped Hattie win a special election, and presto, she'd made history. Now, Hattie wasn't exactly a firebrand. She never made speeches and spent most of her time on the Senate floor knitting. 
Reporters called her Silent Hattie, which was fine with the Democratic Party. She could just sit there until the next election, then let a man take over. But Hattie had other plans. Seems as much as she disliked making speeches, she kind of enjoyed actually making laws. So in May 1932, she blew everyone's mind by announcing she'd run for a second term. The party was not pleased. They refused to support Hattie in the primary. Six guys lined up to run against her. One of them predicted she'd be lucky to get a couple thousand votes. You know, from friends and those wacky feminists. Except one of those friends was Louisiana Governor Huey Long. He was the most popular politician in the South, and he popped over to Arkansas to campaign for Hattie. She won the primary, then won the election by a landslide, and six years later, she won again! All of which proved a woman could be a successful senator. Not that everyone took it to heart, 27 states have still never elected a woman to the Senate. So that was the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. I am speaking with our friend Todd Thrasher. He is the award-winning mixologist at Restaurant Eve in Virginia near Washington, D.C. And Todd, for once, we have given you a history that does not involve blood and death. What drink does it inspire you to make? I have a drink called, uh, it has actually the drink of two names. The one that we can actually put on the menu, okay. which is called Hattie Bobatty, All right. also known as Hattie Badass. <laughs> being the first elected senator. I mean, for a woman, that was definitely badass. So. Absolutely. What uh, What's in this thing? First of all, you know, she comes from Tennessee. She was born in Tennessee, so I think we definitely need some uh, Jack Daniels whiskey. <laughs> all right. But she, uh, you know, she was a prohibitionist, so she probably did not drink in public, but I'm sure she had a few behind closed doors. They always so, do. They always do. So I have uh, this kind of moonshine made here in Virginia. Okay. It's called Wassman's Rye Spirit. For yeah. those who don't live uh, in Virginia, what would we substitute? Rye whiskey would be fine. All right. So um, her last name's Caraway, so I, we definitely have to have a little caraway honey syrup. Oh, lovely. And Huey Long is uh, from New Orleans, so a little Peychaud bitters. Oh, man. Put all of those into a mixing glass, stir it for about a minute, and then garnish it either with a honeycomb, if you can get your hands on them, or a uh, lemon twist. A honeycomb. I, I think making this drink is about as complicated as getting elected to the Senate. Exactly. And Brendan, that drink is actually even more complicated than it seems. Really? If that is possible. Caraway? Caraway infused honey is like a 90 step process. That actually sounds like it'd be pretty good on like a pastrami sandwich or something. Well, we have the recipe for the honey at dinnerpartydownload.com. Actually, with pastrami, that sounds pretty good. I wasn't kidding. That's genius. (laughs) Thanks. I nominate you for senator. Our guest of honor this week is Tim Smith from the Texas-based band Midlake. It's been four years since the release of their critically acclaimed album, The Tales of Van Occupanther. Their new album comes out on February 2nd. It's called The Carriage of Others. Here's a clip. When the acts of men cause the ground to break open, oh, let me inside, let me inside, not to wait. Great are the So, Tim, you've been working on this album for two years. What took so long? Well, we were being influenced by uh, different music, 
the first year. The first year was kind of a uh, glorified rehearsal with the tape rolling. And so we threw away a lot of material. And uh, it was really the second year that, that we got everything for the album. The, the music in, in this album is influenced um, by British progressive folk bands like Pentangle, Fairport Convention. For people who aren't familiar with those bands, can you kind of explain their sound? It's kind of hard to explain. I guess what I'm drawn to is a, it's a kind of a medieval quality to it. And um, it doesn't feel uh, commercial at all. Hmm. It's it's hard to say why I'm drawn to it. You know, your tastes just change. You know, I went through listening to Radiohead and Bjork, and then I finally uh, found Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Fleetwood Mac. You know, I I, I was brought up with jazz music, and I I never um, heard those bands. It wasn't like I was a, a teenager and listening to Led Zeppelin or anything. I I never heard Led Zeppelin until I was, you know, in my late. 20s wow. or mid-20s. That sounds almost criminal. Yeah. Do you, as, a, as a musician, do you feel like it's important for you to, to transcend your influences when you create songs, or is it enough to kind of pay homage to them? You, you just fall in love with a certain type of music, and it's, it's very difficult to not uh, let that come through in your own music, and I don't think about it as paying homage. Songs are kind of accidental in a way, and you're just lucky that you get the next one, and you know, you mentioned that you um, grew up listening to jazz and, and steeped in jazz. And as I understand it, you used to be a saxophone player. Yeah. And there's no saxophone in Midlake. I was wondering, do you feel, is there ever like any guilt about abandoning the saxophone, your first instrument? No, because I, I play the flute all over the album and that's <laughs> that's good enough. You know, sax would be, uh, I'd feel guilty if I put it in there. <laughs> because it just doesn't fit aesthetically, maybe? Yeah. So we have two standard questions we ask on the show. The first of which is, if we were at a dinner party with you, what question should we not ask you? <laughs> I never, um, I don't know, I couldn't say that I really get tired of a question. If people want to talk about you know, our music, I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> so you're just a genuinely nice guy, Tim. No, <laughs> probably not. Well, our second question is, tell us something we don't know, something you've never talked about in interviews before. Well, I don't know if you've heard of uh, the, the game Whirly Ball. I haven't. It's basically like a basketball game with, with go-karts. Really? Yeah, yeah. We enjoy going and playing that whenever we can afford it. It's quite expensive. Let me get this straight. So these are gas-powered go-karts. It's, they're bumper cars. So it's bumper cars, and you throw around a ball, and they're nets? Yeah, you have one of those, um, what do you call it? Kind of like you're throwing a wiffle ball, but it's like a scoop. Oh, like a highlight thing. Yeah. Man. Yeah, and you're passing it around, and then there's a sensor that you throw it up to, like a kind of a basketball backboard without the uh, rim. It's interesting. If you if you conflate the kind of imagery in your music, think medieval, and you conflate that with whirly ball, I immediately think of jousting on bumper cars. Ooh. You know, maybe you could create like a Renaissance fair version of whirly ball. Uh, that might be dangerous. So, Brendan, great band. Yeah, man. But no Led Zeppelin until his 20s? <laughs> I know, pretty pretty what astonishing. They, what is going on in Texas? Did they execute Led Zeppelin? <laughs> they ha- it has to stop. I think ZZ Top asphyxiated them with their beards. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you know the whereabouts of Robert Plant, uh, you can post all about it on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. We've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. And Brendan, while we're on the subject of music, you love music. I I dig it. I love music. I once dated music. 
That's not a surprise. <laughs> we were in love. So it's it's really saying something that we have both commented on how often music in restaurants sucks. It is mind-boggling. And I don't it's not we're not being snobs. It's not that the songs are bad. It's that they're inappropriate. It's like excruciatingly loud. Often too loud, but Brendan, the good news is we are not alone. This week I spoke with Bruce Bouchel. He's the guy blogging in the New York Times about opening a restaurant. He also happens to be a music journalist. Uh-huh. And a few weeks back he posted his list of the perfect restaurant tunes. And I started by asking a simple question. How about no music in a restaurant? Why can't we just have some peace and quiet? You can, but then you'd have to move to Europe. But... Europeans seem to enjoy sitting at a cafe quietly enjoying a cup of coffee. I guess that's true. In America, it doesn't work like that. I think there's a certain entertainment value. Restaurants are in competition, they think, with theater and movies. And when you go somewhere, it's to be part of a scene. And there's certain places that's perfectly good for. I guess there's also the idea that if it's too quiet, that's not necessarily good either. It's not. And if the place is not full, a full place can provide the music of human beings and of, you know, corks being popped. The symphony of life, if you will. Please. But if it's two-thirds empty and you're going to be listening to somebody fetching at a table across the hall, that's probably not, you know, the dinner that you dreamed of. Now, your list consists mostly of jazz, and you're a pretty unabashed jazz boat. Is jazz the optimal music? I mean, as a pop lover, I'd like to believe that it isn't. I don't think it's only jazz. I think jazz has an advantage in that it's usually instrumental. It's the lack of lyrics that you're going for? Yeah, you're not competing with somebody else's story. You're not dealing with somebody else's blues. I would like to protest just a tad that my list is all jazz. I know it leans that way. Right. You've got, uh, I know, some uh, some samba in there. There's Cuban music, but even if there is some singing, I don't speak Portuguese, so I'm not going to know what the hell they're singing about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For Portuguese people, you've got the most annoying list <laughs> in history. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And speaking of annoying, last question, what is the worst musical experience you ever had at a restaurant? There's a restaurant recently, actually, that was playing 60s music, which wasn't that bad. But then the announcer came on and announced America had bombed the hell out of this village in Vietnam. And I thought I was, uh, you know, losing my mind and we're now invading. And it turns out that they were listening to a 60s station that gave 60s weather, (laughs) 60s news. They just repeated whatever happened in the 60s and they blew my mind. So you had like a delicious meal and a flashback for dessert. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. So Rico, wouldn't a flashback dessert just be an appetizer? (laughs) And that's the dinner party download (laughs) for this week. Uh, folks, you can read our blog. I was kind of proud of that one. Uh, you should be. Uh, everyone, you can read our blog and find out all about us at dinnerpartydownload.com. Thanks to Melinda Driscoll, Rebecca Cerrone, and Delassie Michelis for helping us set the table. And thanks also to Brad Neely and Eve Tro. Uh, we leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. This week, we lost legendary music man Bobby Charles. R.I.P. Bobby. So here's one of his songs by one of his fans, the band Vetiver. It's called I Must Be In A Good Place Now, and it's on their album, Things From The Past. Bon Appetit. Wild apple trees blooming all around I must be in a good place now 
Sunset in the hill. Dream of my yesterdays and tomorrow, and hope that you'll be with me still. Saw a butterfly and I named it after you. Your name has such a pleasant sound. Love is all around and all I see is you. I must be. I'm Rico Galliano. Senator. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm knitting a whirly ball helmet. <laughs>